This week, I welcome Chris Budd back to the show. Chris has recently put his business, Ovation Finance, into an employee ownership trust, a fantastic way of creating sustainable businesses owned by the employees. We talk about the process Chris went through and the book he's written on the subject, The Eternal Business. Welcome to episode 186 of the Marketing and Finance Podcast. This is the podcast for ideas and inspiration on marketing your business and growing your business and for discussing topics on all things finance. I'm Roger Edwards, a marketing guy and keynote speaker from Edinburgh. Talk to me if you want to cut the BS and the complexity from your marketing strategy. Hey folks, and welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Thanks, as always, for downloading or streaming the show. And thank you for the feedback you've been sending me. Some of you have been tweeting, some of you have been sending emails. It's always good to get feedback. So if you've got anything you want to tell me about the show, drop me a tweet, drop me an email. And if you want to be on the show, do the same. This week, I'm going to be talking about a really new way of creating sustainable businesses. And it's a different way of creating an ownership structure as well. My guest is Chris Budd. We chat about how the employee ownership trust model works, the four stages of building a sustainable business, setting up collaborative decision making, how the flag in the ground concept helps employees, who the employee trust model is for, and how the model benefits consumers, the so-called John Lewis effect. So let's get straight into that interview with Chris, right here on the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Chris Budd, welcome back to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Many thanks, Roger. How are you? I'm very well, Chris. Now, you first appeared on the Marketing and Finance Podcast back in episode 92, which is a couple of years ago. And when you came on the show, you were talking about your book, which at the time was Financial Wellbeing. You've got a new book out now. It's called The Eternal Business, and it's all about a different way of building sustainable businesses. Sounds absolutely intriguing. Now, I'm going to hold my hands up and say... I've not read the book yet, and I thought it'd be really interesting if we really went into this podcast raw. So I've got no knowledge of the background of the book. I know that you went through some financial transaction with your business, Ovation Finance. But let's start, maybe give the listeners of the Marketing and Finance podcast a quick two minutes on who you are and where you came from and what makes you tick. I've been a financial planner for, well, in the industry all my life, really. My father was an IFA. And about seven years or so ago, I was... uh, bit depressed. I was bored, I was fed up, and I was trapped. Um, A lot of people will say uh, when you own a business, oh, you're so lucky, you can do anything you like, but actually it's the opposite. The thing about owning your own business is a lot of people will tell you that, uh, oh, you're so lucky, you have so much freedom, you can do whatever you like, but actually it's the opposite. You, You were trapped. I couldn't just resign and get another job. So I made all sorts of changes in my business um, and in my life. I started writing novels, um, got into being more creative, the creative side. And I started changing the business so that I would make myself the least important person in my business. A process which I also uh, played in the covers band and lots of other stuff too. Midlife crisis, let's call it that, shall we? (laughs) (laughs) And it's all culminated in selling Ovation to an employee ownership trust. Most people, when they think of building businesses, will think about shareholders perhaps, raising capital and selling shares. 
what you've done is something completely different and, and in fairness something that i've never heard of before yeah it's uh, so the, the what are the important it's a subtle thing but i think massively important about the employee ownership trust is that the shares in the employee ownership trust won't get sold Mm-hmm. So the beneficiaries of the trust are the employees. They get the profit. They also, they don't own shares, but they're beneficiaries of the trust. So this, uh, your listeners, was, well, many will be familiar with the John Lewis model. Mm-hmm. It's like the John Lewis model, but available off the shelf for everybody. Right. And what happens, and this is a really subtle but important distinction, what happens is if, if there is no chance that the business will be sold, is the focus goes away from shareholder value from increasing share price from a three to five year view and instead it goes on to long-term sustainable profit which is better for the employees it's better for the customer it's better for everybody i think that's one of the exciting things about this new this new trust that's now available for everybody it's it's very interesting because i've worked for big corporates as you know and i've worked for smaller companies and i guess that when you are especially when you're quoted on the stock market you almost develop a very short-term mentality, don't you? Because effectively, you have to beat your target or, or meet your profit criteria in the next six months or in the next 12 months. And it does create that very short-term thinking in the management team, whereas really good long-term business growth should come from a strategy that stretches out four or five years. Exactly. And even the assumption that there has to be growth. Yeah. You know, it doesn't have to be growth. Uh, it just carry on making good profit. Why do you need to grow the, the size of the company? Um, improve the quality, not, not necessarily the the, uh, the share price. The employees kind of take over. It's it's very exciting stuff. So so perhaps I should just cover how it works briefly. Yeah. Um, before we get too excited and ahead of ourselves, uh, in order to move into the trust, I sell my shares to the trust. So what happens is this trust is an HMRC approved scheme. And I set up, I as the company, set up a new employee ownership trust. So Ovation Finance was my company, financial planning company. I set up the Ovation Finance Employee Ownership Trust and I sell my shares into the trust. I must sell a controlling interest. That's one of the rules. Okay. Mm-hmm. The trust then has the shares. However, it doesn't have any money to pay me. Right. So what happens is because it has the shares, it now receives the future profit of the business and it uses that profit to pay me out over a period of time. So one of the key things here is that owners get to leave their businesses, get to end their entrepreneurial story and get paid off at an independent fair market value whilst also handing it over to the employees. So it's a win-win. This leads me, if I may, Roger, to the absolutely most important thing, okay? As owners, okay, I'm talking to business owners at this next little bit. I get paid the financial security for me and my family comes from the future profits of a business that I will no longer control. And that's a bit scary. Yes. So the reason I wrote the Eternal Business book, and I've also set up a a business consultancy called the Eternal Business Consultancy, is because I want to make sure the focus of everybody who looks at employee ownership trust is to understand this is not about an exit. It's not just about the tax breaks, because there are some. It's about building a long-term sustainable business, an eternal business. It's all the things you have to do to build a business that has at least a chance of lasting forever. And the ownership model, the employee ownership trust, is a key part to it, but it's only one of four parts of the business model. And it's absolutely key that you don't have people, which I have seen a few, going out advertising tax-free exit schemes. 
it's way, way more than that. And really important that nobody goes into this led by the tax breaks. Sounds like that could be a recipe for disaster, actually, and, and all, almost like a mis-selling scandal in the offing. Yeah, I think it could be. I think it could be. And I have seen one or two examples of a, um, corporate finance uh, types going out and talking about the fact that uh, the payments for the owner are capital gains tax-free mm-hmm. and selling it on that basis. Um, and people going in, uh, in one instance, uh, somebody was told that they could do a six-week turnaround on the deal. Well, it takes literally years to get a business ready for employee ownerships not six weeks Mm -hmm. Um, so if you just put the employees in charge overnight it could be absolute disaster so it's key that people understand this is a big topic it's about changing the approach of a business to um, allow the employees to have a say to motivating and engaging employees so that the business is then ready so that when I leave, frankly, it will carry on paying me out. I think that's the key thing, isn't it? Now, again, I've come at this with no knowledge of of the model. um, But what does occur to me when you said it's quite scary to think that you have to rely upon this business future sustainability to provide you with that term profit share. But what you're actually saying is you've done the hard work over the last few years and, and probably longer to put the business into a position where it can do that. You've effectively built that and you've set them on that track and you, you'll you be retaining a bit of an interest in the business to make sure it remains on track. But you've done all the hard work already. Exactly right. Yeah, bang on. I think you need to come out with me on the road and start talking about this. You've got it immediately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. In fact, I would suggest... Obviously, I appreciate a lot of your listeners are uh, IFAs in the financial services world. Maybe this is slightly controversial, but you need to build a business which is a meaningful business. Yes. I would suggest that a business which has got uh, seven or eight self-employed advisors, all of whom are working on their own client banks, isn't really a business at all. You need to build a business where the clients see the company as their client, so as themselves, as clients of the company, mm-hmm. not of, as an individual, and that means marketing, branding, all the stuff you know so much about. Uh, it means um, creating uh, an environment where a client will know lots of different advisors for different advice, maybe, and because all the employees benefit from the profit of the company, there's a shared and common purpose there. So everybody. Uh, is able to let anybody deal with their clients because we're all sharing in the rewards. It's a complete, that um, awful phrase, the eat what you kill model. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That is not really a business. It's just a bunch of people working under the same roof, but it's not a business. So there is work to be done. And I think to go from an eat what you kill business, uh, what I would call a personality business, which is all around the boss who set the business up and all the clients deal with them, um, to go from that extreme to an employee ownership business, I think, is at least a five-year journey. So you mentioned that there were four stages that you've gone through, and these four stages are reflected in the book. Maybe take us through those four stages, Chris? Sure, um, of course. So this is what, what happened was um, after four or five years of trying to make myself the least important person in the business, which is, by the way, quite strange when you realize you are. <laughs> <laughs> You suddenly think, hang on, what about me? And you realize that this is what you were trying to do all along. So I got in front of my whiteboard in the in the meeting room and uh, at Ovation offices, and I started writing up, what have I been doing? What are the areas I've been working on? How will I tell other people about this? And I wrote all these different things down, and I grouped them together, and I realized that actually I could group them into four things, which I, if you can imagine, four sides of a square. The first is what I call the flag and the ground. It's the flag around which we all gather 
the the standard at the front of the charge into battle. It's what we believe in. It's a sense of purpose. It's uh, Simon Sinek's why is in this area for those that know his stuff. But it's more than that because it's how it permeates through everything you do within the business. So if I'm going to want to walk away and leave this business alone, the business needs to stand for something so that everybody will believe in it and work hard without me there having to imply the, apply the vision. Secondly is collaborative decision-making. So in an employee ownership business, employees don't get a vote, but they do have a say. They need to have a voice. So if I want to leave the business, I need to somehow replace my decision-making. Mm-hmm. And if I replace it with one other person, well, I've, not, I've just kicked the can down the road. I've not solved the problem because they could just leave. So you need some form of collaborative decision-making. The third thing you need is engaged employees. And I have a particular angle on this in the book where I talk about a combined career and financial plan for employees so that when they come in to work in the morning, they know what they need to do in order to help the company fulfill its objectives, which should hopefully be aligned with their personal uh, vision, but at the same time, know what the company's going to pay them so that they can achieve their personal objectives outside of the company. Mm -hmm. I think if you can combine those two, you're going to have a pretty powerful workforce. And then the fourth thing is you need an ownership model, which will allow me to walk away and achieve all the things I want, which is making sure that clients are happy, the employees are happy, I get a fair value and the company lives on. So when I was going through these four areas, I realized that actually it wasn't a square at all. It was a pyramid. They were the four sides of a pyramid because each of these sides leans on and needs the others. So for example, if you're going to have employees who are going to start making business decisions, they need to be able to test those decisions against a very clear sense of purpose and vision, the flag. If you're going to have employees who are going to be truly engaged, they need to have their own sense of purpose mapped against a very clear flag. They also need to have an ownership model that allows them to make decisions and so on and so on and so on. Each of the sides leans on and needs the other. And so I realized that this is kind of a what I call in the book, the eternal pyramid. It, it forms the base of all the things that you need to do if you want to create a business that you can walk away from. I'm really interested in the collaborative decision-making elements of this as well, Chris, because, again, I suppose in my background, I've always worked for companies where there's been, I don't know, an executive team. So maybe six or seven people sat around a table making the decisions that move the business forward, whether that's profitable growth, whether it's marketing, whether it's investment, whatever it is. And rightly or wrongly, they'll make good decisions or wrong decisions. Being a bit more collaborative is, is there a danger in that of being less nimble than a traditional business? Yeah, there, there certainly is that danger. That's one of the many reasons why this takes time to work mm, on, mm. because it's a cultural shift. Um, my father's favorite phrase is, uh, was, a camel is a horse designed by a committee. Yes. And you want to avoid death by committee. Absolutely. But... Um, that doesn't mean it can't be done. There's a wonderful, well, I say wonderful book. There's a virtually unreadable book, as far as, <laughs> as, far as I'm concerned, called Reinventing Organizations by mm-hmm. Frederick Laloux. Anybody that loves a really dense business book, I can recommend it. But it, it, do what I do and just kind of flick through it and pick out the, pick out the bit because I can't read it all. But it's all about how alternative organizational structures. Mm-hmm. How you don't need, um, if I can be a bit extreme, you don't need the alpha male at the top beating their chest and telling everybody what they should do, you know, the traditional stereotype boss scenario. There are other ways of organizing businesses. At the very least, the employees need to have a voice. 
So if you take someone like John Lewis, they have phenomenal arrangements and organizations, um, organizational structure to enable people on the shop floor. And if they go through the correct forums and, and various other councils, they can quite easily stand in front of the chairman and raise an objection to a decision that board, the, the board has made. Mm. And there are there are mechanisms in place to allow that to happen. At the very least, employees need a voice. In Ovation, we formed some decision-making groups and every member of staff was asked to be part of a decision-making group that was given budgets, for example, on marketing, and they make business decisions about how to spend the marketing budget. So everybody starts to get involved. And again, I guess that, again, thinking about this long-term nature of this whole transaction, I imagine at first some of the employees might have thought, what the hell are you doing, Chris? You know, what? Um, it's just, it, it does feel so different that there must have been that sort of element of not, not so much suspicion, but just, I just don't know what's going on here. Can this actually be true? Yeah, there, there was. Uh, when I, I first told them all, I thought they were all going to go, oh, Chris, you are so wonderful. Thank you, boss, for seeing, being so lovely at doing this amazing yeah. thing. And I, they didn't. Um, in fact, in one instance, somebody said, so uh, what you're telling me then is that for the next X number of years, all the profit's going to go to you to pay out the shares. <laughs> and I said, yeah, like now, because I own the business and yeah. that's what happens to the profit now. So actually, there's no difference. What I did, though, is I structured my own out to be slightly longer than it needed to be because every year there's a fixed payment that must come to me for the payment of my shares. And if the company makes profit over and above that, then that goes into uh, or goes towards the trust so that it can make the bonus payments. So the um, employees are incentivized from the first year to make profit, to pay me out, and then they get the rest. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But actually, Roger, do you know what? The interesting thing is it's not that bit that most of motivates them uh, another book that your listeners might like and many will have read i'm sure already is drive by daniel pink yes which talks about how people are motivated not by how much money they get these days but they're motivated by fulfillment if you allow somebody to start making business decisions and get involved with business they start and, and, and a clear flag and the sense of purpose they start to get fulfillment so if you imagine, a, I don't know, making it up, 28-year-old person that's just become chartered and they've got two job offers and one of them is from a boss who makes all the decisions and keeps the profit and the other one is from a company where they get to contribute to decisions and get to share in the profit. Well, which one are they going to choose? Absolutely. I really like the flag in the ground idea as well. As you alluded to, it's Simon Sinek's why, it's the purpose of the of the company. But again, you know, working in big corporates, you often seem to spend a massive amount of time on strategy and, and that usually means going off to some hotel in the middle of nowhere and spending weeks sticking post-it notes on walls and rearranging those post-it notes <laughs> and coming back to the office and and everybody's still sitting there thinking well actually I still don't really know what the company's all about so I, I, that's another element that attracts me to this this model you've put together that in involving everybody in coming up with a genuine purpose and a genuine vision that must be so much more, so much more motivating and refreshing as well because everybody knows where they're going absolutely although it's very tough to do yeah, as, yeah. You, as you allude to um for example one of the questions that i ask companies uh, so i now do consulting with with businesses and helping them with this business model um and we're also uh, turning it into an online program which i can tell you more about if you're interested but one of the th crucial parts to it 
is um, is working out your flag on the ground. And one yeah. of the questions we ask is, what would you hear a client say that would make you smile the broadest? Yes. And I asked this of a company, not financial services, uh, a company I'm working with recently, and they said, oh, what would really make me happy is if they said you've done a really good job. Oh, that's not a flag in the ground. Mm, <laughs> that's mm. a million miles from a flag mm. in the ground. And that's the moment you realize there's some work to be done here. You know, what actually is the purpose of this business? Why do you exist? Um, why does somebody come to you and not the other guy down the road? What is it you want? One of the things about a flag in the ground is it should alienate some people. If you've got a flag in the ground that everybody agrees with, it's not a sense of purpose. Mm. So some people within your organization, when you get real clarity over what you're about, some people might not like it. It might not line up with their beliefs and they might leave. Mm -hmm. That's okay. And you also have to make sure it doesn't become too too broad or too lofty. I mean, I, I, one of the things that always makes me laugh is that you'll have some brands, some some brands like Starbucks, and I, I, I can't remember exactly what it is without looking it up on the internet, but they have a, a lofty purpose at something like, we're going to change the world and bring peace and harmony to mankind and small furry <laughs> animals and all of that sort of thing. And you're sitting there thinking, no, I just want you to make me a damn good cup of coffee, for goodness sake. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So you, Their mission is, is to inspire and nurture the human spirit one person one cup and one neighborhood at a time oh you know it you see well at least they have at least they have the word at least they have the word cup in there so that there is an illusion to there is an illusion to coffee but i, I guess i mean I, i'm i'm in that camp where i i do like to have the flag in the ground in your in your terminology the vision the the purpose but i do think that we do live in an age now where some people just seem to make that into something which is just ludicrous as opposed to yeah, something that yeah. is really customer focused and on so delivery. If I, if I can give an example of a flag innovation we spent some time on this yeah and we realized that our purpose is around financial well-being yeah it's around happiness um you know the financial well-being book the financial well-being podcast that we do this is all around the idea that it's not just about getting rich it's not about accumulating wealth it's about accumulating life. Yes. And so that is what has become um, our flag in the ground. Now, that was always there. And everybody joined the company who works in the company. It stays there because they like the fact that that's our focus. But we didn't realize, we didn't articulate it quite in that way. Mm. So it took us some time to realize what is it that we actually are so proud of about here? Yes. What is it that we enjoy so much? Um, the coaching approach that we take, and I've talked about for years. You know, these are things that all build up to to what and it, it took a little while for us to realize but we needed to make sure there will be you see there, there will be some clients and advisors who might come to us and say you know i want to sell as much as i can as making much money as i can then you're not for us mm. you know that's fine that's cool no yeah. judgment but you're not going to be happy working here you know so it's important to have a flag in the ground that other people can go yes i believe in that too and what sort of business person does this model appeal to i would say people who genuinely care about their clients and employees who have a genuine purpose already there that's not as you say that's not everybody and that's cool that's fine some people will just want to sell to a consolidator and get out yeah that's okay you know i wanted to leave a legacy i'm very proud of ovation that i set up i'm proud of the employees there i love the clients i didn't want to see it just disappear overnight and actually that five years i spent um, or seven years I spent. It was great fun. Mm. I loved it. You've got a business to with a with a real purpose and an endpoint to aim for, and a business to build. That's that's why you get into it. Yeah. You know, that was really good fun. I enjoyed that. Yeah. So um, there aren't every that doesn't appeal to everybody, and that's that's fine. You're right. 
it doesn't appeal to everybody. But let me just give you some statistics, Roger. Some of your listeners might be thinking, why haven't I heard of this before? And there's two reasons why they haven't heard of it. It came out in 2014. And I've just explained that it takes several years to get the business ready. There, if you imagine the sweet spot for this, the ideal business size is, size is between 10 and 250 employees. Mm-hmm. Less than 10 is possible, but ideally 10 to 250. Now, there are 280,000 businesses in the UK of that size. There are currently 320 EOT businesses, employee ownership trust businesses. So it's about to explode. It's about to become absolutely massive. But even if it's only 10% of companies that this appeals to, you're still talking from 320 to 28,000. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And of course, you've positioned yourself now as having done it yourself with Ovation Finance. You're now in a consultancy role to help other people to manage the same process. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm very passionate about it. I think, I genuinely think this can deliver societal change. If you imagine that a tipping point where you, that person's going for those two different jobs and they start to, to get more and more common to, to, to go to an EOT company, you're going to get companies that are run not by alpha males, not by people focused on short-term share price, but by employees looking at long-term sustainable profit. But you need the cultural change. Yes. and. There are not many people in the country I would consider to be proper experts in this. There are a few, but I mean, literally, fingers of one hand. Um, on the on the wider piece, you know, not just the tax and legals, on the wider piece. And of those people, of, of which there are some, some really bright people, but I'm the only one that's actually done it myself. I can see this having major impacts on the financial services industry in particular because so many businesses in the past have had that cliched sort of white male figurehead in the boardroom and and this could lead to quite a a lot of cultural change around the whole advice process product development marketing everything really everything yeah mm. but let the um, employees get involved yeah they've they've had great ideas for years but the only way they've been able to allowed to get involved is if they come up with some money to buy shares as mm. a management buy it mm. now there's another way and harness the power of the ideas of all these people yeah uh, but harness it effectively that's the key to it you harness it effectively give them a voice um, but you can't have everybody all shouting at the same time. <laughs> so um, that's all part of how, how you build this up. One of the interesting things I was reading this week, and you've, you've mentioned John Lewis a couple of times already in this, uh, in this session, um, they've recently rebranded themselves. There's, there's an advert on TV, and I've read a few articles this week in Marketing Week. They're now called the John Lewis Partnership. So they're, they're making a major play for the fact that they are a partnership and that the employees are involved. Now, my initial reaction to that was a little bit lukewarm. I'm not in any way denigrating the John Lewis model, and I think the fact that their employees are partners and involved and, and have a say is absolutely fabulous, and what you've done is, is absolutely fabulous as well. But when I watch those adverts, when I read those articles in Marketing Week, I'm sitting there thinking, well, I can imagine a lot of consumers might see this advert and say, well, so what? Where's the benefit for me as the man on the street from the way that John Lewis has rebranded itself? I didn't know, I didn't really understand the partnership model until I did it myself. Now, John Lewis looms large in the employee ownership sector because they did it such a long time ago Mm. and they have such great structures in place. Now, I don't go into John Lewis very often. And we had uh, the the Employee Ownership Association is an organization that brings together employee-owned businesses. And John Lewis kindly hosted a regional meeting. And so because of that, 
I then went into the shop and we just had a long session of four hours talking about the implications of employee owners, uh, ownership and what it means for employees, customers, etc. And for the first time, I started to notice, well, what difference is this making? It was massive. Mm. I went down to um, to buy a Bluetooth pair of headphones and I asked somebody, um, you know, got any help? They could not have been more helpful. Uh, I don't wish to mention other brands, um, but uh, I'm thinking of one at the moment, which is two computer sales companies that joined forces. Um, you probably know who I mean there. <laughs> um, trying to get somebody there to help me. Absolute nightmare. Yeah. John Lewis could not be more helpful because they care. They genuinely Excuse my language. You can edit this out if you like. They give a shit. They <laughs> genuinely do. And um, talking to and uh, listening to the store owner at Cribs Causeway, very inspiring guy, listening to the people on the shop floor who are part of the employee forum, they genuinely, the partnership model, the partnership um, principle is something they take very seriously. And they do huge amounts to ensure that the employees feel engaged and feel that they have a voice. And I think it makes a genuine difference to the customer on that shop floor when you want some help. I think you're absolutely right. You know, you go in and they genuinely want to help, whereas the other brand that you um, mentioned there, all the guys are just standing around with their arms crossed talking about what they're going to do on Friday night. And if you happen to go up and ask them a question, they look at you as <laughs> if you've suddenly interrupted something important. How dare you interrupt and that sort of thing. So yeah. I think that is the benefit, isn't it? It yeah. might not come over immediately in that advert, the John Lewis partnership, but what you're getting is that unique customer experience from customer assistants that genuinely care about the customer. Yeah, indeed. Absolutely. John Lewis uh, are hugely helpful to the employee ownership sector. In fact, um, I had lunch with a board member of Waitrose, part of the John Lewis partnership, and, and, and they've made some contributions into the book as well. Um, so, yeah, they, they, they are a wonderful organisation for, for the employee ownership. They really believe it. So, Chris, the book's out. It was launched this week. Correct. Yes. Came out on Monday. Fantastic. And where can people get hold of it? So if anybody wants to know more about employee ownership, there's several things they can do. Obviously, uh, they can go onto Amazon, type my name in, and you'll see all my books there. Uh, Chris Budd, The Eternal Business is, is one of them. Um, you can also, uh, the Employee Ownership Association, if anybody's interested in this, go onto their website, just Google Employee Ownership Association. Uh, there's a download of a PDF, which is a guide to employee ownership. It's a bit more technical mm-hmm. um, than than my model, which is much broader. My, my model is all about um, sustainable businesses, and the EOT is one part of it. And obviously, the Employee Ownership Association give specific detail about the EO, um, the OT itself. Get yourself along to a regional meeting. This is what changed my life. I went to a one meeting of the Employee Ownership Association, having never heard of it before, and suddenly I met all these people who were in employee ownership businesses who were so excited, mm-hmm. who were so enthusiastic and wanting to share ideas and learn. It was so wonderful. So that's the second thing. Obviously, by the book, um, I'm also offering myself as consultant to help companies but to be honest, Roger, what happened when I wrote a blog earlier this year on the Site Advisor Lounge about what I'd done with Ovation, that, that site normally gets 700 or so hits per blog. That blog that I wrote about employee ownership has had over 8,000 views wow. so far. Wow. So I've been a little bit overwhelmed with the amount of interest from owners wanting to get out um, and employees wanting to get into businesses. So we're turning the book into an online program that people can sign up to it's got uh, 300 pound a month will get you access to 12 modules which take you through the whole process that you need to 
build a business that it, that it's got a chance at least of lasting forever. Um, there's uh, webinars, blogs, all the usual stuff. Um, also, there's uh, for a £500 a month uh, rate, there's also a cohort option where we'll get you together with um, other like-minded businesses or similar businesses at a similar stage once a quarter for a facilitated day. So the website is theeternalbusiness.com and um, people can express their interest on there register their interest and then hopefully we'll be a bit of a fanfare later in the year launching the program fully um it's, it, all the syllabus is done there we're just put it, building it up onto the platform so those are the ways that people can find out more about this that's fantastic and i will include links to those websites and books in the show notes for this episode which you can find at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash maf that's rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash maf chris it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you about this this morning normally when i interview people about books i've read the book in advance and i've felt knowledgeable and i've felt authoritative today i've really enjoyed having the conversation with you having not read the book and actually not knowing much about the topic i'm really excited about it i'm going to get the book i'm going to read it and yeah it's it's really opened my eyes so thanks for coming on the show and probably see you again in a couple of years time (laughs) i'll try and find something else interesting to write about thanks for having me on roger i appreciate it thanks for listening to the marketing and finance podcast do please look at the show notes at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash maf for links to the apps and topics and books we discussed If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. Simply visit rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash iTunes and leave a review. I'll catch you on the next episode. In the meantime, keep marketing your business to keep growing your business.